Welcome to Improv Interviews. I'm Margot Escott, a psychotherapist, clinical social worker, and improvisational theater teacher here in Naples. Improv Interviews is about interesting folks who are using improv either in clinical ways such as psychotherapy or perhaps doing applied improvisation with other populations. And today we have a wonderful guest, Dr. Dan Bakalsko who is a professor at Florida Gulf Coast University. And I met him over the summer when he was doing a wonderful project teaching improv to girls at the Pace Center in Immokalee, Florida. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. I'm really happy to have you here. We're both graduates of NYU. However, I was the uh, social work department and you were at the theater performance school <coughs> at Tisch. Right. Yes, I was in the performance studies program at Tisch, at, uh, at Tisch at New York University. But you started acting way before then. Did it? Did your acting start in Flushing, New York, where you were born? Oh no, not at all. I mean, like, <laughs> I lived in Flushing, like maybe like two years, so zero to two, no acting there at all. Uh, but uh, we, we moved around a bit. Um, I eventually wound up in Kansas, so um, I did my high school years in Topeka, Kansas and then went to my undergraduate universities uh, in Wichita. So I'm a graduate of the um, theater program at Wichita State University, as well as an English program. I have a BFA in theater and a BA in English there prior to coming to New York to go for my PhD, MA and PhD. It's incredible. And we have a commonality. My BA is in English, but my master's in social work. Right, but right. So you have done amazing things. Let's start with how you got into acting in the first place. Well, as far as uh, I, I kind of fell into acting in some ways, uh, and that was mainly as a result of uh, when I was in high school, I was uh, on the props crew for a musical called Anything Goes. Uh, and uh, suddenly there was a call for, if you know anything about the musical, mm -hmm. there is, um, there are two Asian characters in there, um, which they're not, they're not exactly like really for progressively <laughs> developed characters, but, uh, but they are the, the, uh, I was cast as one of those, uh, uh, those characters and actually did fall in love with theater during that time, did theater for the rest of my time at um, Topeka West High School. And then when it came to university work, I started out as a business major because I didn't think I was going to be able to make a career in theater. Um, but I kept doing theater shows and working especially behind the scenes as a stage manager and eventually director at my undergraduate university, Wichita State University. Um, and just wound up getting the BFA degree in theater performance. Um, and so that's really how I started out in theater. And did you go straight from there to New York to graduate school? Yes, that's correct. As far as like um, one kind of like very uh, interesting detour that I took is in uh, my second senior year out of six, I don't know, not six, not six senior years, but six years of undergraduate college. Um, I did a year abroad uh, at Lancaster University in England. Um, and there I kind of learned a bit more about some of the more experimental work and kind of like a, a different way of thinking about theater and performance through um, what, what I was able to see in Lancaster and wound up applying for the performance studies program at 
New York University because a lot of the interesting scholarship and a lot of the interesting stuff that I was reading was seemed to be coming out of that program. So I started uh, with my master's at uh, New York University in the performance studies program. Um, and it was there that I really kind of solidified, I think, my sort of like sensibility as an artist and as a scholar. And is that where you discovered Augustus Ball? Um, Augustus Ball was basically someone that I did discover during my, uh, my graduate years. And that was actually because I wound up being, um, I was a graduate assistant in the Department of Drama at New York University. And one of the people that I was assisting is a um, woman and a really fantastic Bowal scholar named Jan Cohen Cruz. And so I was her graduate assistant and she had studied with Bowal. She co-edited um, a book on Bowal uh, and uh, really kind of like, he, she was teaching a course in community-based theater. Uh, and I found the work that she was doing so fascinating um, that it became part of my own repertoire <laughs> in, in, in terms of like figuring out how to actually express things and how to actually do a number of, uh, of different things. So while I never studied with Boal myself, I feel like I, I have a lineage there through Jan and the kind of work that she did with, uh, with him. And can you describe Theater of Oppressed a little bit? Because not, not everybody knows about it. I was introduced to it by you this summer. Right. So um, Theater of the Oppressed is kind of like both a philosophy and a methodology that was kind of started by Augusta Bawal, primarily when he was working in South America. Um, and he was, he, there's this kind of like a, a number of like stories that he has told in his books where he talks about like, originally he was doing kind of like agit prop type of theater work and going and doing um, shows with his troupe to um, places. And, but what was happening was he was calling for uh, social change and like re um, revolution and trying to throw off the oppressor. And then when people would come up to him afterwards and say, hey, you know, we have these guns uh, and why don't you come fight with us? He was going, oh no, you know, I'm a theater artist and that's not really, I, I was looking at this more of a metaphor kind of, kind of, kind of thing, you know, and, and not, not, not to say that he's not willing to fight for what he, what he does, but that was, that he realized what he was actually wanting to do was to figure out a way for people to help themselves and overcome uh, what, what they were doing. So the idea of theater of the press, he says, is kind of like a rehearsal for the revolution. And so it's sort of like figuring out, being able to identify the problems that are facing a particular person, a particular community, um, a particular country even, uh, and figuring out like what the problem is, identifying the problem, um, oftentimes imagining how those problems can be overcome. And so that's kind of like the basis for the theater of the oppressed work. And a lot of it has shifted and changed. He has several books that kind of like um, document the change. And even when he came over to um, the United States and was doing workshops with uh, populations which were perhaps not as oppressed in the kind of way we think about it in terms of like government system oppression, found that there was still a lot of work in terms of like internal oppression that people were facing. And so uh, modifying a lot of his earlier work to really deal with a number of different ways to go about thinking about how do you overcome problems within your life. Now we did, I thought, the most fascinating uh, exercise of uh, theater of oppressed in the class we'd had last summer. 
where it was the weekend after there was going to be a big um, uh, ice uh, shutdown in Immokalee. Immokalee, our farming community here, our migrant community here. And do you remember the one I'm talking about? I do. So what uh, we were doing there was uh, an image, uh, image theater was the, the name of the exercise. And so the way that works is that um, there is a participant, in this case, it was a young girl at Pace Center for Girls um, who was, I believe, of, you know, from the community. And the community there is primarily, you know, um, Latina, um, African-American, and a, a number of people who identify perhaps as the kind of individuals who are targeted racially sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. um, so she was imagining a situation that the, the exercise called for the, the person to imagine a situation where they felt oppressed at some juncture. And so she did, uh, she, she created a sculpture utilizing people in the uh, group. And eventually, we didn't realize at the time, but eventually it came out, it seemed it was um, these people being arrested, right? As far as like, and other people protesting. And it became something that we eventually realized was something very similar to what the, the situation that you're talking about, where it was um, perhaps ICE agents uh, taking people away from the communities that they were from. So <laughs> and that was the first one <laughs> of several of, of exercises that we, that we did and really cut to the core of how this kind of work can really illuminate for the people who, are, who participate in it, the, the kind of um, oppressions that they do face very literally. Uh, and also we looked at some solutions. And so one of the solutions that eventually was, was, was done was through voting, right? As far as like, how do you vote someone out of office who might be actually perpetuating these kind of things? It, I'll never forget it. It was remarkable. Yeah. I, really, it was an incredible piece. Um, so in you, I guess while you were going to graduate school, you were a theater editor and critic in New York City? Yeah, part-time um, first as far as like, so I was finishing my graduate work in, in, in classes uh, or around the same time I got a part-time job as the listings editor of a now defunct magazine called In Theater. So uh, In Theater was a, like a bi-weekly magazine. Um, I think it was originally supposed to be a weekly. Eventually it became a bi-weekly. Um, and towards the end, maybe not even that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was it was a really great opportunity for me to kind of like explore a different side of uh, theater because I wound up going to a number of shows and eventually become a theater critic as well. So I wrote my first reviews. Um, well, I had a blog that, w and this was really early. This was like early, like late '90s, like mid to late '90s, and um, and I had had a blog on Asian American theater. Um, and so I did write some reviews relating to that uh, during that time, but I wrote my first professional reviews for In Theater Magazine. And then um, shortly after that one uh, collapsed, then the magazine collapsed, the kind of like internet boom of online theater sites had started. Um, so I first, my first job with one of those was with Broadway.com, but then um, I soon became attached to theatermania.com uh, where I, um, started out working as, in listings, started doing some features and reviews, and then eventually became the managing editor.
Well, I've read many pieces and that link to that is going to be um, available to our listeners to actually read the work that you've done. You did some amazing work, some amazing interviews with incredible people. Oh, yeah. I, um, I really, I uh, found the one with, let me see, uh, David Huang from mm -hmm. M Butterfly. Yeah. He's yeah. Um, yeah. David Henry Wong was, uh, is a huge influence on Asian American theater in general and me as a scholar as far as like I have taught his work in numerous classes um, from very dedicated classes like an Asian American theater class and actually I did a uh, specialized course at New York University specifically on his works and um, the works of Philip Kangatanda uh, who was another Asian American writer and then still while I don't have a dedicated Asian American class that I teach down here in Florida um, I incorporated his works into like my survey of dramatic literature course um, and some other scholarship that I do. Wonderful. And so this is your great writer. I enjoyed reading a lot. You had a blog at one point, but that was quite a while ago, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, like I said, I, I, I started this Asian American performance blog back in the 90s and it went through a number of different iterations. And so uh, a lot of it always depends upon how much time I had to devote to it. And um, just in the last couple of years, I haven't had a whole lot of time. So while the like a 3.0 version of the blog exists on WordPress and you can still find it, um, I think the last entry that I did was maybe two years ago. But wonderful writing talent. So I'm urging my listeners to go and read some of the things that you've written. I love it. And especially the, part, the Asian American theater. Mm -hmm. I think the only Asian American theater I was ever familiar with when I was growing up was The King and I. Right. The Brunner. <laughs> yeah, that's not really Asian American theater. It is mainly about theater that happened to be set in Asia, uh, which is not entirely the same thing. And, um, and it's one of the things I, I, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with a number of the musicals from that era. Um, I, I mentioned, I think, that my first experience of doing theater was through a kind of stereotypical role in Anything Goes, right? Uh, and then growing up on things like The King and I, and um, even, even something like Pacific Overtures, uh, or a, lot, a number of things, there are musicals that were written by people who were not of Asian heritage, uh, but representing um, Asians. And one of the things that I really found exciting when I moved to New York and really started studying um, kind of like racial dynamics in theater is that there were people producing work from an Asian American perspective. And that's really what I uh, kind of like latched onto as uh, a graduate student and eventually a performer. Um, and I started doing my own shows over there as, as well. So my, my training in theater was very, very traditional, right? As far as like um, traditional acting, traditional everything basically. Um, and then suddenly I, um, I found that there was a kind of like a wealth in myself of material that I could actually create from my own experiences. And some of that came out of doing, um, I, I did a um, workshop, not with an Asian American artist, but with a uh, gay performance artist by the name of Tim Miller, um, who some people know as one of the NEA4 from the, the controversy uh, when a, a number of performance artists had their grants revoked back in the early 90s. And he was doing this uh, workshop for um, gay men at uh, Performance Space 122 that I attended. And it was incredibly life-changing and being able to tell stories um, from my own life 
and utilize that as a method of storytelling that was so theatrical and yet very simple too, right? Uh, as far as like sharing of truth kind of, kind of thing. And so out of that, I started thinking, well, there are other ways and other things to tell stories about. And so my first two, really only two, um, solo performances were based around uh, my identifications as a gay man and as an Asian American. So I'm sorry, but I don't speak the language, which I started doing. Um, well, I, I think I, I debuted at the first New York International Fringe Festival. Um, so that was late, uh, mid to late 90s. I can't remember the exact year at the moment. Um, and then uh, my follow-up to that was a, a, a solo show called Sort of Where I'm Coming From, uh, which again, was kind of like, again, like about identity, but mixing religion into the mix as well. Terrific. I would like to see those someday. I think you need to um, do a revival show. Uh, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, those were those very much, they were, they were some, some of it was text-based, some of it was movement-based, and mm -hmm. I, I just don't move the way I used to be able to move. <laughs> <laughs> so working with uh, Asian-American artists, uh, performers, writers, uh, musicians that you've been on that path for a bit then and I think you've been at some of some of the conferences I've seen that you attended yes as far as like so as an artist I um I like I said I did my solo shows I really started working with um a Asian American writing and performance ensemble which was originally called peeling the banana that was started by uh Gary San Angel um and he working with the Asian American Writers Workshop and so I kind of like saw one of their early shows, uh, became really interested in, in that work because by then I had already had my, uh, my first solo show doing and thought, oh my gosh, there are other people doing this kind of work. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I started working with them a bit and eventually became their artistic director um, and uh, worked, with, worked with them for several years. Uh, we did a lot of shows. We, we toured a lot to uh, colleges, oftentimes brought in by Asian American groups. Uh, but not exclusively. We we did some shows off off Broadway. Uh, we're a very off off Broadway company, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, eventually um, we kind of like culminated our work with a one act festival uh, that we produced, um, uh, and which is where I did my probably my longest work that um, was not just just me and uh, a play a one act play called Say Something, which I was actually in, but <laughs> uh, but it was uh, it, it was a little bit more of a theater work as opposed to a performance artwork that my uh, solo, solo stuff had been. And are you, how are you involved today with Asian American theater art? Well, as far as, there's, there's not as much Asian American theater down here in Florida. Florida so, I, Florida. <laughs> so I am not doing a lot in terms of practical work. Um, I do still do Asian American work as a scholar. So I, I attend, like, um, like last year, I went to the Asian American Studies Conference um, and was on a panel for that. The, uh, some of the papers that I write are about Asian American artists. Um, I'm going to be doing a paper at the Comparative Drama uh, Conference um, in the spring about um, the work of Ki Win, um, who is an Asian American writer, and also doing a little bit of comparison of his work, uh, particularly his play Viet Gone, with um, and, and well, actually, really, it's the um, the inexplicable. Oh, actually, I'm, I'm not, I can't remember the the title of it at the moment. But one of his plays uh, where he brings in David Henry Wong, the 
playwright kind right. of like guy from Asian American theater as a character. And so, so looking at, look, looking at that um, as, as, as something to, to do. And he, talking about David, he wrote, I think it was his last play or something that was about Hillary Clinton. Was that the review I read? Um, well, I did on my blog a kind of like review roundup of uh, some of the work around soft power was, is the name of the of, of the show, which he, when, when it was down at um, in, in Los Angeles where it debuted. It's more recently gotten a production at New, uh, in New York at the Public Theater. Um, so it is. Uh, so that's the most recent one, and it's kind of like a dream future kind of thing uh, uh, that, that, that Hillary Clinton does become a character in it, yes. <laughs> Interesting. So um, let's go back to going to NYU. What an incredible experience coming from Kansas, even the big city of Wichita. That's a culture shock. It was a bit of a culture shock, yes. Um, and there's also, it, it, was, it was interesting because there were a number of things that happened when I moved to New York. Um, one, graduate work was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it was, it's just true. I'm, undergraduate, I feel I kind of was able to coast by as far as like in terms of the amount of, um, you know, that's not to say that uh, my undergraduate was easy, um, but as far as like, I've always been a fairly good writer um, and writing papers came, comes naturally to me and I'm able to express my ideas through writing has been something I've always been able to do. Um, but when I got to graduate school, it was a whole different level of incorporating all of these theories and a lot of stuff that I had never read before and concepts that I was working with. So it was a bit of a struggle uh, to, to do that. And what really made it work for me was figuring out that I could connect the stuff that I was studying theoretically into practice. Um, and that was, that was a big thing for me. Um, and the graduate school, the, the performance studies program at New York University, uh, while there are a number of practitioners who go into it, it's not really a performer practitioner program, right? So uh, the, anything that you're doing as a performer, and a lot of us were doing performance, you did outside of your classes, right? Uh, so all the stuff I did with peeling, my one person shows, that was done all outside of classes, but it wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't been in those classes, especially things um, I studied with a brilliant, brilliant scholar um, named Jose, Jose Munoz, who has unfortunately passed, um, but he introduced me to uh, queer theory and critical race theory um, and both of those things really had a huge impact on the kind of works that I was going to be doing as a performer and a writer um, to sort of like think through um, how some of these ideas related to race and sexuality and um, performance really kind of intersected. Terrific. Now, a lot of times graduate students are forced to work while they're in graduate school. Um, were you one of those or you didn't? Well, I did work as far as like, um, one of the, the best things was I got to work at the university, right? So a, uh, becoming a graduate assistant at New York University uh, was incredibly wonderful because not only did you get a biweekly stipend, you got a full tuition waiver. Wow. So, yeah. you know, 
school at New York University is expensive. So not having to pay, pay tuition in order to do that was really, really useful. Uh, later on, after I had finished coursework, then um, that's when I became the uh, listings editor at In Theater Magazine. I also did a little bit of uh, work at the membership office at Lincoln Center um, and a, a few other oh, wow. smaller jobs that um, were uh, all kind of like hopefully related to uh, my growing kind of like work as a scholar and as a uh, uh, performer. So when you started the program, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do and did it change by the time you graduated? Uh, I had an idea. It had completely changed by the time I graduated. And again, <laughs> I, I went to New York University because I wanted to study with Richard Schechner. Um, and uh, he, because he, he had written a number of things that I found incredibly useful. Um, he, he wrote a, a book called uh, Between Theater and Anthropology um, and uh, The Future of Ritual and a few other different things, environmental theater, um, and th which were really based upon a lot of the work that he did in the 1960s as a um, director and kind of performance scholar. Um, and so, so that's who I thought I was going to be working with. And I was at the very beginning of my uh, time, time there. But after I met Jose um, and really kind of latched on to the stuff that Jose was teaching, I shifted completely what I was doing. And so um, I, I even moved my advising from Richard over to um, Jose sort of to, because that he, he what, what, what he was teaching more closely matched the interests that I was developing. So wh what did you want to do once you graduated? I mean, you were doing a number of things, but what, did, what was your kind of, did you have a master plan? Like, you know. You know, I did not have a master plan, which is, <laughs> which is, which is kind of like this weird thing. Um, I think my plan was that I loved being a student. And so like my, my family always joked that I was going to be a perpetual student. It took six years for me to finish my undergraduate and I got two degrees out of it. So I, so I got my BFA in performance and a BA in English Lit. And then I got my master's. Then I got my PhD. And I, I loved school. You know, I loved learning and loved, loved education. So I guess the trajectory now has did become teacher, right? Um, but uh, I did have, you know, thoughts that maybe I wanted to be an actor in New York. And that's one of the reasons why you moved to New York, right? You want to try your hand at being an actor in New York City. Um, I didn't really become an actor in New York City. I became a performance artist in New York City, which quite frankly is better, I felt. <laughs> uh, because what I was doing was creating my own stuff, right? I, I really loved my New York years because I was able to generate really, I felt, meaningful work that really addressed a lot of the stuff that I was the most interested in and was getting feedback and a, finding a community of like-minded people um, that had... Uh, we're, we're really experimenting with ideas again around race, sexuality, performance, uh, and and I, I it, is, it was a really uh, formative time for me. It's terrific. So, what happened that you ended up at FGCU uh, in Fort Myers, a wonderful university? Well, th that also came about a little bit differently, as far as like. Um, after my period as a kind of generative performer that, that I talked about, I actually went into another period, which was working full time as a, as a theater journalist. And um, that was partly because uh, I wanted to earn a living <laughs> and, uh, and the lure of a full time job with benefits kind of thing was a little bit too much uh, to resist. So I did that for eight years full time as the managing editor of Theater Mania. Um, and then that job kind of like 
came to an end when a new uh, editor-in-chief came on board and we had some differences of opinion in how things should be uh, done. So I wound up doing, like uh, leaving the company um, and uh, looking to see what my next phase of my life was going to be. And one of the things I always enjoyed was teaching. I had been adjunct teaching at New York University for the entire time that I was working at Theater Mania. I picked up another uh, adjunct job at Hunter College working the Asian American Studies program. Um, and so between those two universities, uh, was doing a lot of teaching, but not really earning a living at it. So I uh, had started to look outside of New York City to uh, really figure out uh, where I wanted to go next. Um, and then the, the job at Florida Gulf Coast University wound up being an ideal fit for me because my mom lives in Cape Coral, Florida. Wow. Um, so there was, a, there was a nice tie and I knew the area. Um, and uh, they were looking for someone who was a little bit more of a performance scholar as opposed to necessarily a practitioner, right? As far as like, um, and, and so I wound up in, uh, coming to FTCU and I, 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 I really loved working with the, with the program and with the students here. It's terrific. And so what's your actual title today? Um, well, right now um, I'm, I'm, I'm an assistant professor because I'm fairly still new into the full-time teaching gig. I'm hoping to go up for promotion fairly soon. Um, but I'm also the uh, uh, program coordinator for the theater program. Uh, and that's something I've only been doing for about a year and a half now, uh, which is sort of like somewhere between a faculty member and a chair. But it's not, in other words, it's not really, uh, uh, it, it doesn't have the power of a chair. We don't do any supervisory capacity over our, our things, but we manage a lot of the uh, other things. I, I run the, the theater program meetings. Um, I assist with budgets. Um, I work to get all of our uh, um, classes scheduled and a number of different different things that are kind of like widespread duty-wise things that need to get done for a program but it's not necessarily something that i um i, I you know i like doing it but i don't want to do it forever <laughs> and what is the program meanings you alluded to what, what i'm sorry there was a program called meanings oh program meetings yeah, oh, so, program meetings. I thought that yeah, was so, like so, so the when the uh, when, yeah so <laughs> when the faculty get together for meetings along with some other people who are part of the program, then that I, I preside over those meetings. Okay, well, one of my favorite people is up there, Garrett Vandermeer. Yes, yeah, um, Garrett is one of our faculty at the, in the theater program. So yes, I enjoy working with Garrett. That's great. And you still do performance, so you were playing at the Naples Players and. Uh... Yeah, as far as like, um, I don't do a lot of performance these days. And in fact, that was the first play I had done in over a decade. Um, and wow. certainly, and actually even, maybe even longer than that in terms of work that I had done that I hadn't been, had a part in creating. <laughs> so, because I, I did a lot of, again, my own work or, or work that I originated, right, um, in, in, in New York. But uh, it hadn't really been a, since really undergraduate that I'd actually done a full length play by written by someone who I didn't personally know. <laughs> well, you were brilliant. I saw it. So yeah. no. oh, thank you. Yes. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was a play called Maple and Vine. Um, and it was, it was so, it's just such a smart play. Uh, and funnily enough, I did actually in my 
life as a theater journalist, um, review the original production of that, and I'm quoted on the book cover of the edition that we were using for the uh, for, for, for the Naples Players production. That's great. Well, you're mentioned in several theatrical books. Um, one of them is Theater Reviewers, and you publish in so many academic journals as well that you are an excellent writer, not just a good writer. And yeah. so when you came to FGCU, now you was, how did you, um, your theater, your plays, your props, how did you get into improv? Where did you study improvisation theater? Well, improvisation is actually, see, it's interesting that I've become part of this, this, this project um, at Pace, where basically a lot of what we're doing is based around improvisation. Um, but I never really studied improvisation formally. It was always something that was part of the tools of the trade kind of thing as uh, a theater artist, right? As far as like, so when I was going through my undergraduate training, uh, we did work, uh, Aviola we, we, Spolin was one of the books that I had in my, uh, in, in, on, my on my bookshelf and doing exercises um, from, from there. And um, so, and we, we, we had a, uh, at our undergraduate thing, a kind of a student group that we would, we would get together on Friday nights to do what we call tomato soup theater, uh, where we basically, it was basically anything we wanted to, to bring in. And a lot of it wound up being like, people would bring in their favorite improv games and we'd have, uh, and we would just do them for one another. It was, it was just like this wonderful community kind of, uh, kind of event. So um, when, during my years with Peeling, uh, when I was uh, the artistic director and even before that, a lot of the, a lot of the work that we did there was through workshops. And so we would generate material through utilizing improvisational workshops, uh, Bowal workshops um, that, that we talked about already. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I was generating there were things, uh, and, and, the, and the improv games that I learned were stuff that either I brought in from my training, other people brought in and that I picked up. And so it was always just learning stuff that would help you generate work. And so I found improv to be a tool for generating performance. And so that's, that's how I use it in classes as well, uh, is uh, it, it's, it's a tool to generate performance and also to generate discussion. One of the wonderful things about the Boal exercise that, that we do with, Im with image theater is that I can use it in pretty much any class in order to get to, um, to the heart of certain issues. I actually teach it in, I utilize that for a day in my, uh, class on foundations of civic engagement, which is a non-theater class with with a lot of times non-theater majors in it, but we do do this exercise to kind of get to the heart of some of the ideas that are affecting our community. Um, and again, one of the things I, I find so useful about improv as a tool for learning is that quite frankly, it doesn't take a lot of prior knowledge to be able to do the games, right? right. That's why we, we, we can do them with populations like the, the girls at the Pace Center for Girls and people who don't have theater training because we can teach them everything they need to know in a very short amount of time so that they can actually then um, launch into the games and, 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 and play them and sometimes generate stuff that they wouldn't have thought themselves capable of doing before. And, and, you know, the history of improv in this country really goes back to social justice anyway, with Viola Spolin working at the uh, Hull House, Jane Adams, 
and then in the WPA during the Depression, which was about helping people help themselves, all the immigrants coming into Chicago. And then David Shepard, who really founded the first theater with Paul Sills, which was the uh, Compass. And originally David Shepard wanted to reach the people. He wanted to do uh, improv and plays on the docks and the stockyards. Of course, they didn't really, weren't interested in him, but that was kind of the original concept for social, social justice. And so I think there's a great tradition between the two of theater and social justice. Um, now, you're, do you work with the improv group at, at Florida Gulf Coast University? Uh, yeah, well, I am their faculty advisor. So it's less that I work with them as that um, they, they, every um, student organization, uh, like a registered student organization, RSO, at Florida Gulf Coast University has an advisor that, that usually from a uh, department or a program that has some relation to their work. So the Improv Club has been uh, one of the two um, RSOs that have worked with the theater program. The other one is the dance um, club uh, that, 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 we, that we have. But um, uh, Garrett Vandermeer, who you mentioned, uh, used to do the uh, uh, Improv Club. He used to be their program advisor. But um, when he was the, also the theater program leader uh, and also uh, doing the, the dance club, it seemed a lot of a lot of stuff that was on his plate, and so I had offered to take something off of his plate, uh, and became the advisor for the uh, improv club. And I have loved working with them. As far as like, they've gone through several. Uh, let's see, I think they have a different president every year, and I think this is now the fourth one that I've worked with directly. Um, and uh, they. A lot, of, a lot of the stuff that I do with them is mainly like signing paperwork and things like that. I have occasionally come in and um, done some uh, stuff for them. I, I, I've given critiques uh, for when they're about to do competitions before, um, but a lot of it is just simply uh, attending some of their events and kind of enjoying what they actually do. And some of them have more improv experience than I have in some ways, <laughs> uh, like, uh, and are able to do uh, more things that like long, uh, you know, long form improv and, and, and stuff, which quite frankly, I'm not as adept at. Um, uh, most of the stuff that I do is really short term stuff because they're usually tied to improv as a way to get to performance as opposed to improv as a means in the middle of itself. Right. Got it. So tell me a little bit about how you got into this project with Pace last summer. Well, I was approached by uh, Dr. Mary DeWeese in the sociology program, who I had never met before. <laughs> um, and so she sent me an email and said that she had taken an improv class and thought it well, at, there was a really great link between uh, sociology and the kind of stuff that improv could do. And she was looking for someone at the university to um, work on a project with her over the summer uh, that, 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 that would kind of explore the therapeutic benefits of improvisation. Um, and so we started brainstorming. We, we did meet in person. And then we, <laughs> we, uh, we, we started going back and forth um, over at the end of the uh, spring semester, kind of developing a project for, uh, that, 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 that would work to not only utilize improv and not only address sociological issues, but also look at how um, communities were affected by um, major disasters. And so we wound up working with uh, 
the Pace Center for Girls, because one of the things we wanted to explore was the impacts of Hurricane Irma, even several years afterwards on that particular community, right? Because a lot of people think, oh, you know, Irma was several years ago. No one's really thinking about that anymore, but that's simply not the case. And that there are like long-term effects of the hurricane that haven't really been addressed in terms of like how it affected the communities that were hardest hit and I still haven't recovered from them yet. And so, so, so uh, Mary had a uh, connection with the Pace Center for Girls because she used to be on the board. And so that became our, our site for uh, how, uh, where we were going to do this kind of work. So we were able to get a couple of grants to assist us in um, working. And, and one of the grants that we got was the Commun Communities in Transition grant. Um, and I love the name of that grant because that's really been a focus for me is the way to work with communities in performance, right? And so um, I, I feel kind of it, it's a tradition of um, that I come out of that tradition of community-based performance was that class that I told you that Jan Cohen Cruz ran that I learned about Bawal's work. And then all, all of my work that I did in New York as a performer was all about community, right? The Asian American community, the gay community, um, and a number of different communities. And so it became this natural progression say like, I'm gonna work with communities down here in Southwest Florida. And so working with the Pace Center for Girls was part of that kind of idea to work with the community and try to see if we can do something with them that, um, that perhaps is something they hadn't really experienced. And this was a little different as well because I was, we, we were utilizing improvisation as a tool to help people as opposed to generating performance. And that was a shift for me because I've been so concentrated sometimes in utilizing improvisational work as a way to generate something that can then be performed on its own. And here it was something more like we were utilizing improvisation and these exercises more as a way for students to sort of explore and gain confidence as opposed to then that they're going to then perform in, in public somewhere. Right. And that's the whole concept between the Applied, applied Improvisation Network that has thousands of members all over the world. Right. So you actually brought in some outside consultants to work in this program, didn't you? Yes. And one of them happens to be the person I'm talking to right now. <laughs> um, so, so yes. So we, we wanted to, because we were working with um, communities and we were working with people who we thought might be vulnerable populations, um, since they are, these are girls who are like maybe like 12 to um, 18, really, as far as that, the age group. And um, neither myself nor Mary are licensed therapists. And so one of the things that we we're looking for is maybe someone who could actually help us out with situations therapy-wise if, uh, if, if uh, issues arose, right? And so um, she, Mary had worked with... Uh, uh, and, and, and uh, had met Craig Price over at the Naples Players, um, who had been working with this wonderful therapist named Marco Esca. <laughs> and, uh, and we wound up bringing both of those individuals into the project so that we, uh, one, because uh, Craig and Margo were able to, have already been doing a lot of this work. They'd been doing work with Parkinson's, doing work with uh, a number of different communities as utilizing improv as therapeutic tools, right? And that's really what we were thinking of too. We had a research agenda that we wanted to also uh, kind of fulfill, but we didn't want to reinvent the wheel, right? And so we, we thought, okay, 
me coming from the background that, that, that I was coming from, I knew improv, I knew how to, how to, how to utilize uh, this in terms of community and community performance, but there were things that I, I felt that um, working and partnering with the, the individuals from the Naples players could really enrich the kind of work that we were doing and seeing, especially since uh, they had been doing this kind of work already and seeing what they could contribute and how they were thinking about um, improvisation within therapeutic context. And it, it proved to be a wonderful collaboration, I felt. I hope we get invited back because it was an honor and I just loved working with those girls. I mean, and young ladies, they were terrific. And some of the faculty that jumped in with us from Pace were excellent too. So, but we tried to do research, didn't we? At one point we were trying to do some research on the project. Yeah, so the idea that um, Mary and I had was we would utilize, um, it was a twofold project. One was we wanted to create a program that utilized improvisation for these girls to uh, hopefully deal with some of the issues resulting from the, 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 what, what, I, what I talked about before in terms of the recovery of Hurricane Irma. Um, and so we wanted to, so, so for me, my main objective of the summer was to help create this program as far as like uh, a, a, a program where we would actually go in and do these kind of, kind of work. But alongside of that, we also had a research agenda where we wanted to sort of like see if we could track any changes in the way that um, some of these girls experienced uh, a, a, a certain things in terms of their stress levels and uh, anxiety and if anything would change over the course of this, uh, this workshop. Um, the unfortunate thing about doing this kind of work over the summer was that we had a kind of inconsistent population that we were working with where um, it would change pretty much every time we went. And so there were some girls who would come frequently and some girls who we only saw like once over the course of the time there um, because it was a summer program and none of them were required to really be going to our improvisational classes. Uh, and sometimes they needed to be working on other stuff. So, um, so because of that in kind of inconsistency, we only really had about, I think, two girls who were there from the first workshop we, we did through the last one. Um, and we were doing uh, workshops twice a week for a total of um, four weeks. So like about a, a month of work, uh, of, of work to kind of like pilot this kind of program. And we didn't feel coming out of that that we got any statistical data that we can say um, pointed towards significant change. We had some anecdotal data, right? We had some stories that were told to us by both the girls and the faculty in terms of changes that they saw within themselves or from the faculty's perspective, how they observed the girls working in class. Um, but in terms of something that we can like publish, right? We, 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 didn't, we didn't get that kind of data. So Mary and I are actually working together again this coming spring semester, um, doing a course called Community-Based Performance, um, that, which is we're running through the Honors College. And we have um, 12 students who are enrolled currently, four of whom were the student workers that we worked with over the past summer, right? We had five student workers and while it would have been great to have all five five come back one of them graduated <laughs> so she's no longer available but the other four are in the class along with eight additional students who are going to be working on 
the project with us um, again at Pace Center for Girls. And we're just starting now to, uh, Mary and I, to kind of conceptualize how we want this to go forward. But it's nice to come back to the project, but a lot of it has uh, not yet been determined in terms of the of, of the trajectory of where it's, where, where it's that, going to go. That class sounds wonderful. I'd like to audit that class. <laughs> well, you'll probably be invited at some point to come to, come to it. <laughs> well, um, this has been a wonderful interview. I've just really enjoyed speaking with you so much and your energy is tremendous. And having worked with you and played with you improv games and with the girls, this is tremendous amount of playful energy that comes out around you. It's really great. And FGCU is lucky to have you, I think, really. I'm, it's wonderful. Are you gonna try, I know you're very busy. How many classes are you teaching this semester? Uh, I'm teaching three classes, plus I'm directing a show at Florida Gulf Coast University. I'm directing The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde. Oh, nice. Yeah, that we're opening on Valentine's Day. <laughs> oh, that'll be a show to see, absolutely. Yeah, that's tremendous. And how about you, are you gonna audition or? Um, I think I am probably gonna be, not going to be doing much as a performer um, in terms of, of that. I don't really have the time at the moment to do it because uh, my work at the university is takes a lot, uh, yeah. especially now that I'm the program coordinator um, and then just the, the, the load that I have. I would love to do more acting work uh, and I hope to do so you know, not in not the not too distant future, but for the immediate future, it's not in the cards. Okay, that that is tremendous. Well, again, this has been a really wonderful talk. And um, I just thank you so much for your time, because I know you're very busy, but we're going into holidays now, right? Did right. You know, yes. Give I, a little I, time I, off? Um, yeah, I finished my, all of my greeting. <laughs> so um, next week, I have completely off. Well, are you going to do something really fun oh well i am going to be going to uh uh for a couple of days uh the sarasota area um and my husband and i are going to be uh doing some of the nature trails around there and then we're going off to the illinois iowa area for christmas Oh, how lovely, a traditional Midwestern Christmas. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we'll be going into the cold, which I know is counterintuitive for people from Florida, but, um, but it, it, that's where uh, his family is located, and so we're, we're, we, we usually go there every year. That's wonderful. Well, I want to thank you again, and perhaps when, we do, uh, when you do the follow-up study at Pace, we can have another interview and talk about how that one went, because it's really important work. Okay, well, I look forward to that. Again, thank you so much for your time today, Dan. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, wait a minute.